Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. Uh, sorry. <laughs> this Smith week, uh, look at my phone. Our host is. I know. Lost I apologize. This week we're we're <laughs> we're talking my pick, which is about a man who's lost in the wilderness. Mm. No, he's not really lost. Jeremiah Johnson, directed by Sidney Pollack, the late great Sidney Pollack. Well, is he great? Who knows? We'll talk about that. And uh, starring Robert Redford, a severely miscast Robert Redford. Maybe mm. we'll talk about that as well. And uh, from 1972, we're also going to talk about other things we watched. Including some recent releases on my part and uh, other things. How's it going, guys? How's everybody doing out there? It's going all right. Yeah, I had a lovely, relaxed weekend. Mm. You know, I'm so ready to go back to work. Let's do it. And by work, I mean school tomorrow. (laughs) Hmm. School is brutal. I am not looking for. I'm. I'm I, I was seriously considering taking a sick day earlier. I was like, I do not want to go back. Dude, there, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Alamo Draft House here, and uh, next week they're uh, they're doing a screening of In the Mood for Love, and I'm like, I want to go to that, but it's mm. in the middle of a weekday. Do I need a mental health day oh. to go? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I would. A hundred percent. I would. That's your number one movie of all time. Yeah. If Apocalypse Now was playing on the big screen in Dolby in the middle of the day, I would take off two days. Okay? I'd see it twice in a row. Mm. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's just what you got to do. You guys have some kind of weird obsession with Wong Kar Wai. I don't get it, but, (laughs) you know. That's foreshadowing there from the English teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, Yeah, I just... uh, I'm not feeling it, man. I got to go in and teach, continue to teach Hamlet, which the kids mm. could give a fuck about. Mm. I'm trying to instill the love of Shakespeare in them, and they just don't get it. They're not in. Mm. I mean, I got to. We're not doing it yet, but starting in March, I'll be doing Julius Caesar with eighth graders, which. Oh. Next year, I gotta. I gotta put up a fight next year. Like I, I like Caesar and. It's what no with eighth graders there. The high school's like we really want you guys to introduce them to Shakespeare, which I think is just like hey, do our dirty work so they're more familiar with Shakespeare when they get to ninth grade. It's like I don't want to fucking do that anymore. You know, yeah, but it shouldn't be Julius Caesar. It should be like Coriolanus. It's really quick, and it's this guy loves Coriolanus. I do, man. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like you introduce it. It doesn't matter how early you introduce them to it. It just, it scars them. And by the time they get to me, when they're seniors, they're like angry. They, they know what's coming. They're like, oh, we're doing Shakespeare. Oh, fuck, I hate Shakespeare because I read this play and this play and this play, and they all suck. Mm. It's brutal, man. You can't. I, I love Shakespeare, and I fucking hated it in high school. Like Mm. that's, that's okay. It's okay to fucking. Yeah, Mm. that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Would mm. I have found Shakespeare if I didn't I don't know. Have, have it taught to me in high school? Probably. Because I'm cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to fit. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if we, the, the idea is that we should just not teach. I mean, I've, I'm always of the opinion that we, like, we teach British literature 12th grade, which I understand it's like having, like, a well-rounded, you know, like, American literature in 11th grade and the British literature in 12th grade. But 
at the same time, I just I wish we were just teaching more contemporary tax. Even if we had to teach British tax, let's teach 20th century tax or 21st century tax yeah. even. Because these kids do not care about Beowulf, and they don't give a fuck about Shakespeare. Dude, and it's like, a... mm, I like these things, but they're not going to like them, so it makes no sense. Yeah, get these kids on some Michael Moorcock if you're, if you're really... If you really want to, like, you know, get them on some, you know, sword and sorcery, you know. Yeah, I mean, even like, I mean, even like, we read we read nineteen eighty four is the last unit. Like, that's a good place to start. That's where we ought to be starting. Is nineteen eighty four? You know what I mean? Nineteen eighty four would maybe be good. Uh, Lots of yeah, not lots of, but you know, nice little section of of graphic nudity and sex in there. Get those. uh, Mm. Get those eighteen-year-old oh, yeah. videos fired up, but they're gonna love. They're gonna love eighty-four. But the point, the problem is with eighty-four is that we leave it till the unit four, and the seniors leave early, so we're never we're never gonna finish it. There's no way we're finishing it. Like right? Like, so it's like, hey, <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't give. Me, I mean, you could tell them like, hey, go home and read a chapter, and like one of them will do that out of one hundred and twenty-five yeah. students. Mm. So, but yeah, like, there's what are you gonna do? But yeah, like they should definitely be, you know, getting some, you know, like uh, the magician by Somerset Maugham, you know, like uh, oh yeah, some See? some, it just literally anything outside of the norm. Like, I mean, I just think like Ma. it's so bizarre that we teach, mm. we teach old English texts and Middle English texts to these kids. It's bizarre. Like why? You know what I mean? It feels like that should yeah. be stuff that's reserved for college when you're actually like deeply interested in English. Yeah, for real. Like if you really want to if you really want to get into like Chaucer or whatever, like yeah, yeah and, that's and that's for Yeah, exactly. Nobody does. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even I, I told I tried to push Chaucer to, the, to to make it unit 4. In fact, I wrote the curriculum this year, or the scope and sequence this year, and I made Chaucer unit uh, four and I took 1984 and I said let's do this in the fall that way we can actually complete 1984 and I literally got talked down I got talked out of it by another English teacher who didn't want to do it that way she was like I really think we should do Canterbury Tales first and I, I don't even remember what her reasoning was but she, she just browbeat me into it like she Sorry. wouldn't leave it alone I kept saying well I you could do whatever you want I want to do it this way and she kept coming back to my classroom all every day said, no, no no I really think we should do Canterbury Tales first like, whatever that's fine. Whatever. Do whatever that's you want. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I, yeah, I just need you to leave me alone now. Yeah. Well, that's... But yeah, exactly. That's, like, that's, not, that's this, exactly right. This is... Uh, sorry. You know, like, we could do teacher tangents here, but we probably shouldn't. But this is, like... This is, like, everything, like, that's wrong with... Not everything. This is, like, a big problem with, like, my memory of high school teachers and what I know of some high school teachers is, like... Mm. Like, don't teach, the like, the things that you like because you, like... Are, are the master of them this is stupid we no one needs canterbury tales yeah i agree no one needs it unless you want to study english literature they make that <sighs> your masters it's fucking stupid mm. they try to make it that it's like it's a it's it's the anchor text of a of a unit on satire and that's even worse because Mm-mm. teaching Mm-mm. satire is like a nightmare to these kids i don't know what it is but like they don't even begin to understand What's it's because, I think it's because we're in such like a post-ironic like <laughs> like everything everything is satire at this point you know it's like so like ingrained in the culture that they don't even get that it's I mean, like a thing fire, you know you know they fire up TikTok and half of what they see is someone making fun of someone else and sometimes right. it's uh, obvious and sometimes it's subtle and they know and 
No one does satire the way that uh, Chaucer did it anymore, because why would they? Yeah, and I mean, unless you're, like, coordinating this with, like, the, uh, you know, senior history teachers where, like, they're going to teach, like, what was going on in the, mi- in the Middle don't Ages. at all. Like, they're not going to know yeah, what they're sat- what's being satirized. Yeah, and Ugh. I don't understand why we don't either. Mm. They never talk to us about that. Like, why wouldn't we be, like, pairing our mm. lessons at least, or like at least trying to be somewhere in the same vicinity of history? Mm. Because our our units are in sequential order, on chronological order. <laughs> it's just I don't, but, nothing makes nothing makes sense. Who but knows? there probably isn't like a senior history that they all take. That- probably taking a bunch of different things right no they don't all take that's that's a, but that's another thing right it feels like like studying beowulf and canterbury tales is and and hamlet it seems specialized but it's not it's regular english mm. you know everybody has to yeah, do I, it i mean that's it's what she's like really like just out of control like. <laughs> i'm sure that's, yeah. and that's the thing. Well, just, i don't remember i don't know if we read hamlet but ha- hamlet was one of like. our summer like we were gonna read it over the summer um, oh, yeah. Along with like the screw tape letters and Grendel. Oh wow! Yeah, really screw tape letters. Yeah, in a public high school. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because like I remember my teacher like she made this big to do about the fact that she like used to teach at Redemptorist and got the curriculum changed at Redemptorist and there she is at Broadmoor Public High School still talking about these things that she did whenever this is also mm-hmm. the same lady who like um like i remember like we had this like you know big like final paper at the end of the year and we all you know bust our humps to get them done and we turn them in and like a week later she's like well i lost them so you all get a's <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's great uh-huh. All right, we gotta, yeah. we gotta edit this section out. We got, we got to. Yeah, let's get started. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah, get yeah. Started. let's talk movies. Let's get started. Okay, let's talk about what we watched. Uh, who wants to begin with uh, what they watched? I'll start this time. Do it. So I finally got around to watching Training Day, and oh. like, j- just to you know piggyback off the the thing with um, you know Tragedy of Macbeth. Denzel Washington is such a great actor. Like, like I know he like for the most part gets the recognition that he deserves, but every you know it's like you know that he's great, but every once in a while you remember why he's great. Like, there's a scene where he's like, like Ethan Hawke's got a shotgun in his face, and like uh, he's just calmly telling him how it is, and it's like that's just a Masterclass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rest of the movie was too long, and like there's this whole like um backstory thing about like him um being in trouble with some Russians for something he did in Las Vegas. That's just kind of here and there throughout the story. It's not really like I don't know, like, it could have been structured better to where, like, that was a genuine menace that was following him, but instead it's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is how it ends, and... Oh, it's sort of like a reveal, if I remember right, it's more like, it's sort of like hinted at, mm. 
until the very end when it's when like and it's revealed that he's sort of like been working all day to get the money together to pay the Russians or whatever it is or to skip town I forget what he's trying to do but, yeah yeah and then it you know it all comes apart yeah I saw this in the theater by myself mm. uh, and there were nothing but Asian people there for some reason I remember interesting it was really strange there was like six Asian couples and they were all seated in different parts of the theater it was really bizarre hmm. I don't know why or what was going on but. Uh, I just remember watching it and really liking it mm. and thinking Ethan Hawke should get an Oscar. That's what I, that's what I came, I came away thinking. <laughs> you know what? Denzel's great, but Ethan Hawke was really great in it. And I don't know how I'd feel about it now. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, he ended up he ended up he did get yeah. nominated. Yeah, yeah. But for he supporting. Yeah, I mean, right for supporting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised he got recognition at all, honestly, because it's sort of like a, you know, I mean, it's like a crime thriller sort of. Almost, almost an action movie at points. It's like yeah. that kind of thing doesn't usually get nominated for Oscars. But yeah, uh, I agree with you. Denzel's great. Yeah, and yeah, I gave the movie three and a half. And um, part of me, a small part, wants to watch uh, that remake of Magnificent Seven again. But I, eh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I same re- director. Same director. Um, and Denzel. Denzel and Ethan Hawke. Um, oh, that's right, and Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Oh, and uh, a lot of other great actors, except for Chris Brown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As well. Yeah, and like, I just, I yeah, just man. don't know. I don't know if I have it in me to try to watch that again. You know, you've been on a. Uh, you know what's weird about this movie? It's also is that Denzel is in it with Scott Glenn, and Scott oh. Glenn was in the original Man on Fire. Oh yeah, that's right. That yeah, so that's kind of a weird connection. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I really loved the scene. Not to just go over like scenes, but <laughs> I really I was blown away by like that when I remember when I first saw it. The scene uh, with the uh, Hispanic gang members mm. where he when he leaves them when he leaves uh, Ethan Hawke in the apartment. Oh yeah, yeah. And they go to the bathroom and like he, the way he gets out of that. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, like that little that little section of you know like the callback and everything and like that state ends up you know like his personal cop instincts saving his butt literally um that was really good but like the rest of it is just like i don't know it's not bad but it's not amazing i could see it not holding up yeah to be you know like quite the masterpiece that i remember it being but Mm. um all right well uh jr uh yeah i um i lied Last time I said I'd be done with 2021. It turns out I'm not done with 2021. I watched a lot or several releases. And um, I just want to mention this one because I had not heard of it until a friend sent it my way. It's called uh, Test Pattern. And it actually premiered Sundance 2019 and then was delayed forever. Um, and it's a uh, it's directed by Shatara Michelle Ford who this was her feature debut and uh it is about a woman in austin who is uh sexually assaulted and the day after she and her boyfriend try to drive or end up driving kind of all over austin from hospital to hospital in search of a rape kit and um this task ends up being way more difficult than it should be um Texas issues and we see the kind of strain that this is putting on um, the relationship of 
but also especially on this woman who's played by Brittany S. Hall. And um, it's it's like, it's 83 minutes, which means it's actually like 78 minutes. And uh, it is nice. this very like compact little thing with a lot of emotional punches. And uh, Brittany S. Hall, the, the star, is uh, she is so good in it. I came away kind of obsessed with, with her performance and I'm pretty excited about uh, both this filmmaker and this actor that I never heard of. So yeah, it's on a nice. Mm, What's it called again? Pattern. Sorry, real quick. I got the DVD from mm, the library, pattern. but uh, Canopy added it. Never heard of it? At least my Canopy added it uh, at the beginning of February. I thought Canopy was the same right. for everyone, but it turns out that is not true. Yeah. No, I could see it being different based on the amount of money that the library has. Yeah, I um, I'll be honest, Baton Rouge's library is really awesome, and their collection of everything has been much better than Denver's books, audiobooks, ebooks, movies, Blu-rays especially, Um, so I'm I'm surprised that Denver is possibly shelling out more money for uh, a better canopy license. Oh my god. This fucking cat. <laughs> Cat's loose. <laughs> she won't leave. Test pattern is on canopy here. Mm. And I'm adding it yeah, to my list. Highly now. recommend. So, nice. I will watch this soonish. Um, well, I've got a lot of... Uh, I've been trying to like really power through my criterion i challenge i've decided that i want to get done with my criterion challenge by like july <laughs> mm. i want to be 100 percent done with it because i'm not doing this again yeah i'm not doing the whole like i'm falling behind and all this shit mm. um but anyways i i watched uh two 2022 releases uh that were both awful okay one was slightly worse than the other so the first is scream Mm. Uh, directed by Matt Bettinelli Open yeah. and Tyler Gillett, who I believe. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Jesus, God, that makes me hate them even more. <laughs> yeah, they directed Ready or Not and a segment in VHS and like Southbound. Anyways, and they're apparently already directing Scream 6, which has been announced. Um, Scream is terrible. It's completely like, I mean, it's really weird to say this, but it's unoriginal, which like, obviously it's unoriginal, but like, it's, I mean, it's just like, it's blatant. It feels insulting to its audience, like that you wouldn't, for for instance, if you don't know who the killer is in this movie, <laughs> like... I'm not going to spoil it, okay? But if you look at the cast, it's the only one you've ever heard of who's not in the Scream movies before. So it's that, uh, that guy <laughs> I from mean, that Amazon show? Okay. I'm not going to say. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just like, and it's just, it's so mind-numbingly dumb and poorly written. I don't know who wrote it. Uh, James Vanderbilt. Oh yeah, that's sad too. James Vanderbilt wrote this. He also wrote Zodiac, for God's sake. But, um, it's just really like the dialogue is horrendous. 
it's the characterizations of these teenagers don't make any sense. Like I don't believe any of them are real people, which is a, a problem that it shares with the other film that I watched, which is uh, the fallout. But, um, there, the scream is just, I mean, did yeah, you I mean, it's boring, that the honestly. Olds, it's just a boring slasher film. Did you believe film. that the 30-year-olds in Scream were teenagers? Like, good teenagers? No, the, the, the age... I mean, the age is a problem in Scream. It's more. It's less of a problem in the Fallout. In the Fallout, those two girls are in the Fallout are only 20, and they look like they're high school age. Especially Jenna Ortega, who is in both of these films, by the way. She looks like she's about 12. But, um... Like, she's the Drew Barrymore facsimile in this film. Not that she gets killed right away, but she's in the opening scene, you know, talking to him and on the phone and making popcorn and everything. And she's, like, name-dropping A24, and she's saying how she likes elevated horror films, and I love Hereditary and all this. Get dead. Like, who who is this person? What 16-year-old girl? Where does this person live? It's it's absurd. It's Look, absurd. None of these girl like this girl isn't in your English class gushing over Chaucer <laughs> doesn't mean she doesn't exist. I just think it's But she probably doesn't. <clears throat> she just, and honestly it's it's just ridiculous. Even if she did exist, she would sound dumb if she was real. Like a real person saying these things would sound dumb. It's just it's lame. I don't know. And the kills aren't interesting or uh, uh, like original, like the set. There's no, there's no real set pieces. Just like somebody gets stabbed to death. You know what I mean? Like somebody runs up and the guy stabs him, and it's like over. It's not interesting. I want some like interesting kills. You know? I remember in the trailer. Sorry, my camera's all fucked up. I remember in the trailer they had uh, that the little, the small like quick shot of of the of the scream guy breaking the person's leg. Like he stomps on the person's leg and breaks it. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to see. And then that happens, and it's great, but, like, I mean, that's it. There's nothing else. Mm. There's nothing else. <laughs> I need people getting stomped to death. Anyway. Scream is, is this? Terrible. Oh, and uh, the, I was going to say that uh, Nev Campbell's barely in it. Courtney Cox is barely in it, and she looks like an alien. And David Arquette is in it the most. And he's just, like, he's... You could just tell like these people haven't acted in like ten years. They don't remember how to act. You know, they're just they're like that. It's like it's like their their first movie all of a sudden. Has it really been ten years since Cougar Town went off the air? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know when David Arquette acted last. To be fair, Mm. but he's uh, he's awful in this. And I mean, he's not. I've liked things that he's been in. You know what I mean? He's good in the other Scream movies. Is this Scream movie better than any of the other sequels to Scream? No, it's the no. worst one. The worst, the worst. It's it goes like this for me. It's Scream One, the original, yeah. right? It's the highest, obviously. Followed by Scream Four, if you can believe it. Followed by Two, which is terrible. Followed by Three, which is terrible. Followed Jesus. by this one, which is terrible. Mm. So I don't like any of the Scream movies except for One and Four. Yeah. Mm. I've only seen the first one. Yeah. Anyway, I also watched the Fallout. Um, directed by Megan Park, who's apparently like an actress. I don't know. I don't know who she is. I've seen some movies, but I don't. She doesn't look familiar to me. She was in Room, and What If, and Charlie Bartlett, mm. all of which I've seen. But anyways, uh, the Fallout is the worst movie of the year. 
Uh, I gave it zero stars. It stars Jenna Ortega and and uh, Maddie Ziegler as two students who survive a high school shooting tragedy, and just you know they can't they they just can't get back in the right headspace, man, and they decide to drink a little wine and hang out in their million dollar homes and relax on their $5,000 Eames chairs. Just chill out, you know, just take selfies and post to Instagram and yell at their parents because their parents just don't understand what they've been through. They had to hide in a stall while kids got shot. And it's horrendous and it's horrifying. And I don't believe it for a second. (laughs) Not one second, not one part of me believes they went through this event. Other than the fact that I watched them go through it, you Mm. know. These are two actresses who are obviously, you know, very fresh-faced and new. And uh, I think Jenna Ortega is, you know, probably going to be some kind of a big star because she's been in these two movies and then she's got another one coming out later this year. she got two more coming out this year. Horror films. The Foo Fighters Studio 666 and the uh, Ty West X, which is coming out. So I think she's, she's, she's an up-and-comer. Um, everybody else in this is embarrassing and John Ortiz is in this and he's like grossly underused as Ortega's father and I just felt it very disingenuous and I hated the again the characterizations of teenagers as like these goofy like self-aware hip ultra hip everything they say is like a one line everything they say is funny they're they're riffing on everything. It's just completely unrealistic and absurd. Mm. Sorry. I hate this movie. I hate I this just, movie. Uh, so. That M- Maddie Ziegler, that name sounded really familiar. And it turns out this is the girl mm-hmm. who, was, who did the dancing in multiple Sia music videos, including the one with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Oh. So she is a... Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. She's also in West Side Story, apparently, but I don't remember who she plays or anything. Yeah, she's a, she's plays a child, child, child prodigy of some kind who's not Ooh, good in this movie. Cool, man. She's in the she's in the Book of Henry. I mean, I don't, okay, look, I don't want to say either one of them aren't good exactly. Like, it's not that their acting is, like, atrocious. It's that the, what they're saying is, like, so cringy. Like, everything they say... And they have this weird visualization for the texting. Like, 90% of this movie is texting, like girls texting to each other. And the texts are on the screen. And just all the little pauses, and they're constantly showing the ellipses like they're typing, you know? It's brutal. (laughs) It's just... And they're always saying things are dope. (laughs) And, you know, low-key, I low-key want to go do this right now. Just, like get out of here i can't handle it maybe kids talk like this i don't experience that uh you know dealing with 17 and 18 year olds almost every day they i mean i've never heard one of them say dope before Mm. like that's dope (laughs) i'm sorry this is like a a term from the 90s Mm. i don't get it but whatever (laughs) it's just it's a terrible film and if I if I could if I thought I had any chance of convincing Jr. not to watch it, I would try. But I know he'll watch it still. <laughs> is, uh, I saw this on HBO Max, but this is not. Saw that it was on HBO Max, not on my radar. It's on your watch is list. 
What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> Activity from friends wants to watch Jr. <laughs> Man, that must have. I must have like heard it mentioned on a podcast. Oh no! I you guess I am watching it's this. Awful. <laughs> Yeah, avoid at all costs, Jr. Don't do it to yourself, bud. You won't give it a zero, but it's it's not any good. Mm. Anyway, so that's my uh, 2022 report so far. It's a bad year so far, guys. Mm. <laughs> it's rough. Worst year. Of We're only in February. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to watch Clean. I was trying to convince. Uh, I watched this with my wife. And I was trying to convince her to watch Clean, the Adrian Brody sort of like revenge drug picture do you, do you have you seen the trailer for I this i didn't see the trailer but i am aware mm. of its existence yeah and it looks like really like hyper violent and you know just kind of kind of fun but this she wanted to watch this so we watched this it was terrible she thought it was terrible too so if that's any consolation to me but uh anyway kevin let's see so i watched this is forty, the oh. the sort of sequel to Knocked Up, which I actually kind of want to watch again. Um, sure, and I enjoyed it. It was funny. Um, <laughs> like, I need to see more of Albert Brooks. Like he's like Paul Rudd's like um, like uh, what do you dad? Yeah, he plays his dad, but I'm trying to th- like. Like his deadbeat dad, who like, mar- you know, like married a woman who was like twenty years younger than him, and ended up having like four kids, and he's like constantly asking Paul Rudd for money, even though Paul Rudd doesn't have money. Um, <laughs> like, like just the the ease with which he says these really like dumb things is just only Albert Brooks. Um, makes me. Rem- He's not in a lot of stuff lately. Yeah, I mean, like I still, I still maintain that like I want to see the movie of like him and Ron Perlman as you know the two uh, mobsters from Drive. Like a movie about those two, I think would be, and not like, you know, some prequel where like, you know, this is how they got started in the mob world. Like those two, you know, in the position that they're in, I want to see that movie, but I don't know. We're probably never going to get that, but I had no idea. Albert Brooks and Bob Einstein are brothers. I had no idea. Do what? Yeah. Wow. Like R.I.P. Bob like, Einstein. Yeah, Albert Brooks's real name is Albert Lawrence Einstein. <sighs> I never would have thought. I had no, yeah, it makes sense now that I think about their voices. Though their voices are kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. In a okay, way, I see it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's really strange, man. I can't believe like they. I'm surprised this hasn't like come up somewhere. Like people have talked about it more. Yeah, I was probably in that Einstein movie that's on the uh, on HBO Max now. Hmm. But anyways, yeah, I like uh, I like I like Jane, I like Albert Brooks a lot too. Yeah, he's great. He's an out of sight great movie. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, isn't he in? Um, he's like the lead. A finding Dory. <laughs> isn't he like the lead in like broadcast news? Or is he in I mean, it for like yeah. five minutes? Well, no. I don't know if he's the lead. Uh, What's her face is the lead, yes. right? 
Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter is definitely Hunter? lead. But yeah, but I mean, she he's in it, and he got an Oscar nomination. for Okay, it. cool. I need to see that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't love broadcast news, but oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll rewatch it at some point. I don't know. He's in Twilight Zone the movie, so he gets yeah, a yeah. thumbs up from me automatically. I love Twilight Zone the movie. Um, yeah, cool, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I watched Forty uh, Year Old Virgin. So Judd Apatow. Yeah, yeah. He's the worst. What'd you give? Uh, this is forty three. Yeah, because I felt like uh, I watched rewatched Forty Year Old Virgin, and man, it does not hold up. Like I gave it two. Like I wasn't even laughing. Like it wasn't funny at all. Mm. I don't know. And I, there were things that I was like waiting for that never happened, and I realized they must be from like the director's cut or whatever, or, like the extended cut where they include all the improvisation stuff and everything. Right. And it was a real bummer that the stuff wasn't in there. Mm. I would have given it a higher rating. Right. But anyway, <laughs> Judd Apatow's the worst. Jr. Yeah, I um, I decided I don't respect myself for my time, so I watched uh, Eternals. Um. <laughs> and you know, I, I'd, I'd heard nothing but bad things, and you know, it's not like I didn't believe them, but I still was like, you know, Marvel owns my soul. Got to see them all, um, and so I watched it, and I, you know, it's it's definitely like a like a disaster, and it's. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to say like it's it's like a thing that should work. It shouldn't necessarily work. I don't know what they were like. Let's introduce ten new characters. They're all weird. We like sometimes most of them disappear. Sometimes they're there. Camille Nanjani's one of them for some reason, but he just disappears at the end. What like it's such weird like character management, and uh, you can like. You understand like everything. It's trying. It's like it wants the the real like threat to be kind of like the disruption of this this family of people that have lived on Earth for like seven thousand years together, and uh, it just it never it never works. And the like the external threat is just stupid. Uh, the bad guys are, are not good. Not the bad guys are not uh, a big enough threat for the whole like we got to save the world thing that comes on at the end. And it's just every performance is, is just like, is phoned in. I don't like, I don't know why they got Angelina Jolie for this part. And I don't know why they got like Barry, uh, Keegan, Keegan. Yeah. Keegan. Keegan. Yeah, I, or maybe. Kagan? He's got, there's Kagan. like one minute know, in the middle of the movie where it's like, Oh, that's why they cast him. But, it's only that one minute, and never again does he matter. They've got um, they've got two of the dudes from from Game of Thrones in here. Richard Madden, who who has a large part, um, a predictable arc, and um, they got Kit Harrington, Jon Snow, as uh, as Gemma Chan's or Gemma Chan's boyfriend, who's in like two scenes in the beginning, and all of us like just disappears, and is all of a sudden back at the end and has like this emotional moment and it's uh it's it's so stupid like brian tyree henry's in, what, what are you doing i don't i don't know what anyone's doing i mean this was directed by fucking chloe Zhao, who i don't think has made a great movie but she's won a best directing oscar and she's at least made what i thought were interesting movies this is uh everyone said it was a disaster i'm just confirming 
It's a disaster. Do you think that they that Marvel is like shitting in their pants a little bit because now they no. seem to be going down this not <laughs> let's just listen, just listen. <laughs> Given her my theory yet. Just because they're going down this path now where they're starting to hire more visually unique directors instead of having like, you know, the Russo brothers doing everything and like just kind of following their style bible. Now they have like Chloe Zhao doing, you know, this movie and, it, you know, I don't know what it, I haven't seen this film, but I, the trailer certainly, you know, had like, uh, like Terrence Malick sort of shit in it. And then like, you've got like Sam Raimi is going to come in and direct the new Doctor Strange and they got Taika Waititi directing some movies, you know, like, are they, you think like, this is like, they're thinking to themselves, oh my God, this is backfiring on us now. We, we hired this Oscar direct Oscar winning director and she sucks and this movie sucks. And I, I don't. Know. I don't. I'm not. Like, this is, like, the literal only failure recently, and then Spider-Man mm. came out after it, and it was uh, all hunky-dory. But, I, yeah. like, this... That's that's true. But Spider-Man's directed by John Watts. I, I mean, who the fuck is that, I mean, right? You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> it's not... Like, the, the Chloe Zhao thing is... I mean, I think she's a, a, a more prestige name than any other director they've hired. Um, Taika wasn't like prestige when they got him, but also Taika is the hey, only hey. Brano. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, Brano did the, the first Thor. <laughs> Taika is the only one that they've like let like imbue his personality, like his style into a movie at all. Uh, Chloe Zhao mm. has, mm. yeah, there's like some Terrence Malick shots and yeah, some of the CGI fighting happens with like natural lighting. Like that's it. Uh, it's <laughs> like, there's nothing about like sounds great her like intimate style in this movie whatsoever um you know there's nothing about like nothing nothing of like the highly personal um internal stuff from like ryan fleck and anna Bowden made it into captain marvel um <laughs> same thing with kate shortland right. and uh the fuck the fuck black widow movie um I don't know. Is Sam Raimi actually going to have some sort of style in the Doctor Strange movie? Maybe. I'm sure he'll have know. some of his like his trademark, like uh, you know, the things that fly across the room or something. Yeah, you maybe, know, the, <laughs> like the, maybe so. And, that kind of thing will be in there somewhere. Yeah, and Bruce Campbell will be in it. You know. Yeah, Bruce but Campbell will is, have a cameo. I don't sure. think they're shooting their pants because people liked Shang Chi, and it made. It made very it made a good, lot of money. It made very good pandemic money and made very good like introducing a character money. This is the only one that. that do you bombed. think they tried to? Do you think they tried at all to get Wong Kar Wai to direct Shang Chi? I really. Did they reach out to him at I, all? So I, I bet they didn't because they were like, "Well, we don't have fifteen years to let Wong like work this out." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need this out now. supposedly. <laughs> Supposedly, Wong Kar Wai was attached to House of Gucci at some point. I mean, that, that would have been very interesting. That man gets attached to a lot, and then producers are like, yeah. oh, wait, I actually wanted to make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think his right. last one well, was like uh, the Grandmaster in like 2013. Yeah, and supposedly he has yeah. a uh, yeah. supposedly he has a, like a series, a miniseries coming out this year. But right, uh, right. Like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, um, 
Speaking of Wong Kar Wai, uh, I watched Chungking Express. It's part of my Criterion Challenge. Um, and uh, I think it was my 90s film. Starring Brigitte Lin and Tony Lung, who you guys have big crushes on. And uh, Tony Lung, that is. And uh, Fang Wong and these other, these other people. Mm. And this is a movie that is universally <laughs> like universally adored by people on my left probably box, tell you man. something everybody loves this thing mm. probably like that i must I be know. missing i, I, didn't, I, I don't actually, know i haven't seen your activity i didn't see your rating but based on this yeah. based on this, this intro guy doesn't pay attention. it's not going in a way in a direction i agree with i didn't i i didn't lo- love this movie uh I, f- I found it really um Oh man. I think the way that it it breaks into two stories like it's like it's uh like the narrative is like two entirely separate narratives, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just sort of like one just stops and the other one starts in the middle. I that really drove me insane. And what's funny about that is that when I, I remember like when I was in my early 20s, I always had the idea that I that that would be a cool idea for a movie because I didn't know idea this existed, you know. Mm. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just had like a movie that started with one narrative and then all of a sudden it would just cut and we just start a whole new story, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a terrible idea. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. I uh I was really really frustrated by it actually in this even though, you know, I understand that the first narrative sort of ends but it I don't know, they just feel like weirdly disconnected. And I don't maybe I'm I mean, I'm obviously dumb and I'm not understanding some deeper thematic thing that's going on here. I don't understand why they're policemen why they're falling in love with these weird women. Uh I don't understand, uh, I don't understand Tony Lung's but... character. Yeah, I don't understand the. I don't understand any of that stuff either. In fact, that was really confusing to me because I was watching when she starts breaking into the apartment. What is she? She's fantasizing that he comes home and like looks for her. Like, does that actually happening, or is that just in her head? Because later on, he finds her there and he freaks out. Yeah, I mean, but like earlier, it's like they're playing around, like like he's trying to find her, but she's you know moving around the apartment. It's like I I, don't, I just didn't, I couldn't understand like. So is, is like Tony Lung insane in this movie? Is that the issue? Because he is talking to inanimate objects, which is uh, Jordan's favorite part of the movie, by the way. He's talking to all his the objects in his apartment a lot. So like, is he out of his mind? Is that is that the thing? Uh, you know, I'm gonna I was just gonna say this. I think he's insane with longing. Um, I have to pee, and I'll you just you don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I mean, I guess I don't. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't like for as like a sort of introduction to Wong Kar Wai. Like, for you know, I mean, you know, it's it's obviously totally fine that you didn't like the movie, but like this for sure is not the one that I would have. It's like John, this is the one you need to start with, like, because like I think the thing. Like, Faye Wong is for sure, like, she is the quintessential manic pixie dream girl in this movie. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, yeah. Like... She's really hot, too. Oh, I mean, for sure, yeah. I'm super, in, super into her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't, this movie also has... It's, it's super, like, 
90s nostalgia when you watch it now, um, mm. which I think is probably not really up your alley. Um, but like, yeah, like it just felt really quirky too. Like it mm, had like these. It, it was it, it, the the thing that made it most '90s for me was how quirky it was. Yeah, it just reminds me of like all these independent '90s movies mm. that came in the wake of Tarantino. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That yeah. seem like super super quirky characters. There's like a little hint of crime, you know, and just I don't know. Like all that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't like any of those American movies that are like that. Mm. Just the fact that this one is foreign doesn't make me like it, you know. And this is only my second Wong Kar Wai movie. What was the first? And I haven't liked. I saw in the mood for love. Oh right, 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 right. right, right, right. Um, Yeah, and I didn't love. I didn't like either one of them. But I do have another. I have to watch Fallen Angels. It's on my uh, Criterion mm, challenge as well. So I'm going to watch that next. And uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, you might like that one better. Um, Like that was actually supposed Mm. to be the third in the third story in Chungking Express, but like it just went on too long okay. and he was like, eh, I'm, you know, that'll be its own movie. But, um, I think you, you would probably like happy together a lot. Yeah. yeah. Cause like it's got, it's a little more intense and it's not, it's not as quirky and I don't know. It just seemed for some reason, it just seems like more like your kind of movie. Well, I will. Uh, I just add it to my watch list. I want. It's on cool. HBO and Criterion, yeah, yeah. so I can watch that soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not like. I would never say like Wong Kar Wai sucks or anything. Mm. Like, I'm not. You know, I just don't like his. Maybe his movies aren't for me. I don't know. I mean, based on the two I've seen, I would say they're just not like the stories aren't interesting. Anything that I'm terribly interested in, like this sort of. Uh, over melodramatic romanticism mm. is not something that I'm super into, but yeah. And I mean, like I, you know, like watching straw dogs again, I was like, you know, Sam Peckinpah just doesn't make the movies that I like, but you know, I'm not going right, to, I'm go. not going to say yeah. that Sam Peckinpah is a bad director, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, Kevin, let's see. Uh, let's see. So, this afternoon, I rewatched American Gangster, you know, just just on a Denzel kick. Um, nice. Yeah, and like I watched the uh, director's cut, which was really long. Um, it's good. Um, most, you know, the actors are pretty much all good in it. I don't think there's anyone who, I don't remember anyone being like bad or anything. Um, but yeah, it just goes on too long and it's like your stock, uh, biopic. Um, Mm. and it reminded me of like the other movie that Denzel and Russell Crowe were in virtuosity, which was, (laughs) it reminds you of virtuosity. Well, just just seeing the, the two of them on screen. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was horrible. Virtuosity is horrible. Right, virtuosity is bad. Yeah, I uh, I, I saw um, American Gangster. I streamed it from some pirate site, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like way back, like when it was you know, I mean, while I was in theaters, I think, and uh, but I had like a, there was like a great digital copy on a site, and it was streaming, and I watched it. This is before I knew what torrents were, and I uh, watched it, and I remember thinking it was all right. Not amazing, but okay. So, 
like most uh, Ridley Scott movies of the time. Not amazing, but okay. JR? You know, just uh, going off of uh, American Gangster, I revisited a bunch of my favorites from 2007 for, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that redo the Oscars group um, that I'm part of. And uh, American Gangster was not part of that rewatch session. Why? I I don't, because I don't remember liking that movie. Oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't care to revisit it. Fair enough. But um, I watched a bunch of stuff that I thought held up well. Strong Um, year. Both There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men turns out Mm. were better than I thought. I've seen them both multiple times, but I just, I keep liking them more. Um, Into the Wild has a lot of problems, but I still mostly, I still like it. Um, Black Book, the Paul Verhoeven movie Mm -hmm. with uh, Carice Van Houten. I mean, Carice Van Houten is is incredible in it. And that, uh, that book is, uh, that book, that movie is, is, it's both like more complicated and clever than I remember it being. I that that went up. Um, I thought once would maybe be the worst movie I've ever seen. Rewatching it, I was like, you know, I love Falling Slowly. I remember that being a big moment for me in college. But uh, <laughs> is this going to be a disaster? It's not. It's fine. It's it's very cute, and the songs I, I enjoy. And uh, same with Shotgun Stories, the first or one of Jeff Nichols's uh, first movies. That still that still works, and then uh, I was like, "There will be blood." Definitely my favorite movie from this year now. And then I rewatched the assassination of Jesse James, and goddamn, that movie still <laughs> rules. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and Casey <laughs> Affleck is so good. I the first two hours of that movie, he is he's so dark, and he, he's like. It's like a physical transformation. He looks like sickly. It is. He is so. He, he makes me uncomfortable watching him. It's it's incredible. And then also Zodiac. It's like the seventh time I've seen it. Zodiac is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. This uh, it's very 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 strong here. Mm. Very strong. Yeah. I need to rewatch Jesse James. Oh. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. I don't. I don't know that I had seen it since it came out, and I. I thought for sure I owned it on Blu-ray. Um, the only one of those movies that I own is There Will Be Blood, and I I would have sworn that I do not own that. Why do I own that? I don't know. Because it's, it's the great. best movie of 2007. <laughs> it's the second, second best movie. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, the director, Andrew Dominic, he's got a new movie coming on Netflix this year. Mm. Yeah. Blonde, so I'm excited for that. Marilyn Monroe movie. Anna Diarmas. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, has it has it been since killing them softly yeah yeah and yeah. it's brutal because I'm, I'm i mean killing them softly i know you guys aren't the maybe you guys didn't love it like i did but mm. that movie was like a big deal for me <laughs> and uh i mean the fact that it's been so long forced, forced hour movie it's great oh, okay <laughs> i don't know i just know there's a lot of like i know i know a lot of people had a lot of issues with how heavy-handed the sort of political stuff was mm. yeah but um, I fucking love Killing Them Softly so much. And, uh, yeah, Andrew Dominic rocks, and I just wish he would do more stuff more often. Mm. Um, I watched just another film from my uh, my list, my challenge. Henry V, uh, 
by Laurence Olivier, starring Laurence Olivier, from 1944. Um, just <laughs> another great Shakespeare adaptation. <laughs> I don't. I mean, how do they keep doing? It's it? incredible. I, you know, you would think you really would think you would watch a movie from 1944 with Laurence Olivier in a Shakespeare thing and just think it was like the most boring piece of shit. His direction is so interesting and exciting. Like the shit that he's doing is incredible. The way that this movie starts with this insane model of London in 1600. And I mean, just like it's the model is enormous. I was reading about it later. It's like 18, eight, eight by 16 feet or something like that. It's like this enormous model looks great. It's just the right amount of like unrealism, you know, mm. and they're panning in and they go into the globe theater. And then the whole, like the first half hour of the movie is in the globe theater with the actors on stage performing, uh, Henry V. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. If you say so. Great way to introduce the, you know, the sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, the the language, you know. <clears throat> and it's amazing, too, because you see the, the acting style changes dramatically once they're in the real world, once they stop, once it's like they, they open a curtain at one point on the stage and suddenly we're, like, outside, you know. And it's like the real, you know, it's like reality. Mm. And uh, Olivier's acting is, like, totally different and way way great <laughs> just amazing like very way way more natural you know and i just i don't know i really liked almost everything about this movie mm. uh in fact i will say that i think the reason it loses half a star for me because that's a four and a half for me i think the reason it loses half a star is not even the film's fault it's the play's fault mm. <laughs> because this 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 story of this play the last scene or this last couple of scenes involve Henry proposing to um, the French princess I forget what her name is mm, uh, Princess Catherine Brent. played by Renee a- Asherton, Asherson and uh, that shit is not nearly as interesting as the rest of the film <laughs> you know when he's trying to like woo her and like explain to her why she should be her, her, uh, his wife and she doesn't understand English and he doesn't speak French very well and mm. It just turns into like a romantic comedy almost, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously less interested in that than I am with the sort of greater themes about leadership and what it is to uh, fight a war and all these kinds of things. I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed this a lot, uh, and I'm glad I did. And I'm just psyched to watch more mm. Shakespeare, man. I fucking love Shakespeare. Anyway, we can't get back into this. <laughs> I know, Henry V. Oh, and I really want this poster that is on Letterbox for Henry V. Mm. It's a uh, apparently it's Polish it's animated. What? I think of it like it's like a weird animated thing. That's just a painted. I'm looking at it right now. It's yeah. painted uh, photo of him, but it's like a photo from the film. But anyways, it's still from the film. But yeah, it's a Polish apparently, and it's there is no like like I can't find a copy of it online. Mm. Uh, that's bigger than, you know, 11 by 17 or something. And I don't want one that small. I want a big one. Mm. But I'll do something about it at some point. I'll make it happen. Mm. I love this poster. 
I love Olivia. I love his haircut. I love the yeah. way the armor looks. Everything is fucking mm. great. You gonna check out Richard Three? Yeah, I'm gonna check out Richard the Third, weirdo. And uh, <laughs> and what didn't he do an Othello also? Mm-hmm. Or am I wrong about that? Uh, he didn't direct an Othello, but he was in but, Othello, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I might, I might watch that because I like him as an actor. Also. I do think his direction is what makes the movie special. Mm. But I think that uh, his acting is quite good in, as well. He was in like the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was just like narration that, that he was like uncredited for. Oh, I could be wrong, but I haven't. Not. Yeah, I haven't seen that Romeo and Juliet since high school, since ninth grade. Right. So I might rewatch that at some yeah. point. I don't. I remember hating it, but you know. But then again, I like I hated Shakespeare. So yeah, like not to jump down that rabbit hole again, but like I think like that's one of that's one of the reasons why most kids are not super into Shakespeare because they a lot of times they're just started out with Romeo and Juliet. And it's like, no, no, no. You got to start with the good stuff. Dude, Bruce Robinson is in Romeo and Juliet as Benvolio. <laughs> like what? what? How bizarre. Hmm. I remember really That's liking really the guy. Strange. I can't remember his, like John something, uh, the guy who plays Mercutio. <laughs> In the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet, I thought he was really great, but uh, John McKerney, McKerney, yeah, yeah, McKenary, McInerney. Yeah. yeah, he's in Hamlet, also the Zeffirelli Hamlet. Mm. Anyway, all right, well, uh, yeah, that's Henry the Henry the Fifth, fucking great, Kevin. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, I watched. The boys wanted to watch Coco with me, and. That was a really good movie. That was really entertaining. And I like the story a lot. And <laughs> uh, so, so so the movie is very is you know very much about music and you know the power that music has and like I don't for some reason I just like towards the end I got really into I got really into it, and I was, you know, I was, be, I was talking to the TV while we were watching it because the little boy, uh, whose name I forget right now, um, like I'm just waiting for him to play this song for his abuela, and it's like just play the song, play the song, <laughs> and like the boys took that and ran with it. Like, full-on ran with it. They just started yelling, like, Sing the song! Sing the song! <laughs> it's a really fun moment. <laughs> You'd seen Coco before? I have not. This this was the first time. Oh, you just... Well, okay, I yeah. see. I'd been meaning to watch it, because I like... You know, by and large, I like Disney animated movies, e- even the new ones. Um, but I have just hadn't gotten around to that one. Is Coco not? Is it a Pixar or is it just straight <gasps> Disney it Studios? Pixar. It is Pixar. Okay. It's yeah. Pixar. But yeah, it's got um. It's yeah. cool. It's good stuff. Are you gonna watch Encanto? Maybe. Yes, you will. <laughs> I mean, <I'm, laughs> it's like also it's also got the <laughs> like I brought home like, like it seems similar to Coco because it's like uh, Hispanic culture and stuff, right? So yeah, I think it's like Colombian magical. Oh yeah. Magic. Yeah. yeah of course. Mysticism. Magical and stuff. His- I, sorry. I, 
I didn't know much about Encanto until I covered uh, an eighth grade Spanish class last week mm. and uh, watched thirty minutes. <laughs> really, really want to. I really want to watch the last hour. Mm. I can't do it, man. I don't know. I those those uh, those animated films are not for me. I can't. I don't. I don't know what it is. I just What's can't. A, is your daughter not watching uh, animated stuff? Yeah, of Are course. You... No, she loves like Frozen and Tangled She's and shit. She's just begging for Chunking Express like every day. No. <laughs> she... Dude, I love Tangled. Tangled love is atrocious, and I don't know. I saw your rating it's for so it, and I cannot understand like how you get yourself <laughs> to that. It, it's like if you know what it feels like, Jr. And I hate to say this to you, bud. It feels like it it fooled you big time, and it won. Like it it knew it saw you coming. And it tricked you into liking it with its BS, like, you know, we're also, we're cool, we're hip, we're for, we have jokes for adults in the subtext that the kids don't understand. It's the worst. Tangled is atrociously bad. And also, the, the, uh, the water tech in it looks like it's from 1997. Like, it looks like a bad, like, Jurassic Park water. Like, the water, the CG water. It's horrible looking. I'm gonna say this to you a lot tonight, you know? You just don't get it. You don't <laughs> fucking get it. But, you know, don't tell my daughter I said that because she worships at the altar of Rapunzel. Mm. She wants to be Rapunzel. <laughs> Everything about. So she know. doesn't, like, so Tangled's it. She doesn't ask for Encanto or. No, Rapunzel she watches, uh, she'll watch, like, she lately she's been really into Moana. Mm. She's been watching that a lot. I mean, it's not, she'll just, like, you can't, you, we can't ask her to watch something. Like if we say, Hey, you want to watch this one? It's called Encanto and it's about this and this. She'll, yeah. she'll say no automatically. Mm. But if she sees it on her own, if the picture is interesting, you know, she'll be like, I want to watch right. that, you know? So she's three, you know? I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was between like, I don't remember exactly, but my younger sister, who's four years ish younger than me, like, at some point, she discovered certain musicals, and you know, like Sound of Music was on every day for months. Oh wow, really? My house, and then it was like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was on every day. Gosh, that's bizarre. And she would get obsessed, obsessed with shit. Is she like a music music theater nerd? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that happened at age four. Right, that's yeah. really strange. Well, you know, like uh, Amelia didn't watch anything at all. Like all she would watch is like Peppa Pig. Until, and then suddenly, like, we got Disney, and it was just like, she, one day, I, I remember trying to show her Frozen, be like, you'd like this, it's got, like, princesses and stuff, you know, and she's, she was not having it, but then all of a sudden, it was just like, everything, Frozen, Frozen, I love Frozen, I want dolls with Frozen, you know, <laughs> it's like, so now, she, it's just like one of her favorite things in the yeah. world, she has a it's blanket a, with uh, their faces mm. on it. Like, the, the, the marketing, and just general culture satur- cultural saturation has to get to her naturally. Mm, exactly, exactly. Marketing. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, not yet. But you, yeah, not through me is the thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Not cool. You. It's your go, JR. Is it? I, th- I believe so. <laughs> Sorry. I was not prepared. It's okay. Um, I watched, uh, flipped on Hulu. I was looking for something interesting. I found something that looked interesting. Uh, CryptoZoo, which also came out last year. Did you guys see this or hear mm-hmm. about this? No. CryptoZoo? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a... You know, it's like a trippy kind of animation, animated movie um, from this guy, Dash Shaw, who made some other animated movie I didn't see. But um, 
yeah, it's it's like this very sort of like Adult Swim ugly animation style that um, it's it's really gross. And so when the movie gets weird, it is appropriate. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, stars Lake Bell as uh, this cryptozoologist who who goes around um, finding, discovering, and and saving these uh, you know, like mythical creatures. Um, and she's trying to open a, uh, a zoo all with mythical creatures and you know things go wrong there's a um, it is kind of like a detective story where there's like this missing uh, Japanese like it's called a baku like it sort of like feeds off of people's dreams uh, it's really valuable and they're like bad guys looking for it uh, it's, a, it's a lot going on it's uh, it's often stupid it doesn't like hold together as a narrative at all. It's it's really like a. I, I didn't watch it this way, but it's definitely like a get stoned and watched at two a.m. kind of movie. Uh, and if I had been stoned at two a.m. when I watched, it, I probably would have liked it more. Michael Sarah's in it. <sighs> That's not a selling point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's only in it for a minute, but his yeah. voice is very rec- recognizable. Mm, of course. It's got uh, Alex Karpovsky. I love that guy. Yeah, and he's he was not recognizable. I didn't. I did not think. Uh, and none of these people were like even Peter Stormare did not sound like he typically does to me. Uh, he was playing a very aggressively evil person. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I don't. Recommend, hey, didn't uh, you know? just not not to get like way off subject, but like. Just, uh, I, Karpovsky reminded me of Lena Dunham. So Lena Dunham has a new movie coming out this year. Yeah. Which played Sundance, right? It did. Well, how would someone in Chicago have seen that? Uh, it was Sundance was all virtual. Oh, was it? Oh, okay, that makes so, sense. Then. Um, so could yeah. I have bought tickets to see this virtually? Yes, you could have. Well, God fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have. I didn't know that was a possibility. Yeah, I it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was as heavily advertised as last year. Like last year, I was looking at tickets to uh, to things like like Prisoners of the Ghostland was playing Sundance and a few other things, but didn't pull the trigger. It's not cheap. I'm sure it's not. I would have been interested to see, especially something like this. Uh, you know, something from Lena Dunham would be interesting to see. Just that she hasn't really done anything since Girls, and I'd be interested to and see what. The news with that is like you know you're probably gonna have a chance to see that this year at least. Yeah, I mean I'll probably be. Like, I would. It's not gonna be a, a Sundance movie that you know no one ever hears from again. It could be uh, on uh, what you call it on uh, HBO. HBO Max. It's got the director of Zola in it. Someone bought it. I don't know. Really. Oh really? Oh, that's lame. I don't like that someone what? bought it. I wish HBO would have bought it. And I would definitely maybe, be able to, maybe it was HBO. Oh, that would be great. I, d- I don't know. Who Jennifer was. Jason uh, Lee. I mean, John Bernthal. I'm in. Like this looks great. I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm in though. Anyway, um, all right. Lastly, the last thing I'll talk about before we get into uh, the other, you know, the shit we have to talk about. I watched uh, Close Up by Abbas Kuristami. Which is my second Abyss Kuristami movie after Where is the Friend's House or Where is My Friend's House? 
I think this is the only two I've seen. Oh, I, Shakun Sun Cinema, he's like, he has a, a section in that. Anyway, um, Close Up is a movie about a guy who pretended to be a... It's like a true story about a guy who pretended to be a famous Iranian filmmaker, and he conned these people into giving him some money, and he told them that they was going to make a film about them, and he wanted to film it in their house, and all this kind of stuff like this, but he was really just some like super poor... I mean, a con man, essentially, but not really a con man. I don't know. It's sort of vague about that, but um, about whether or not... I mean, he's, he's got no previous convictions. Anyways, and it's about his trial for that crime, and it stars the guy who actually committed the crime in the role of himself, and the people who he took advantage of also star in it as themselves. So it's like a partial documentary because the trial is actual footage of the trial as far as I could tell. But then they shoot recreations of the events leading up to the trial. And I thought this movie was perfect in every way. (laughs) I really uh, enjoyed it. It was kind of mind-blowing, actually, um, how good it was. And uh, I don't know. It just has a lot. It's really, like, deep got a lot of things to say about identity and you know how people view themselves versus how other people view them and how people view events versus how other people view events and the idea of memory and perspective and it's just a really really well done little picture from 1990 and uh I am so glad I watched it. I was not looking forward to watching it. I'll be honest. It was not on my. It was, it was on my radar. Like I own it actually on Blu-ray. I bought it blind because it was at Fye for five bucks when they were closing. So I have this movie on Blu-ray. And I've never watched it for years. And then, uh, Film Junk, the podcast Film Junk, was is doing their Criterionitis episode this week about this movie. So I was like, oh, great, now i got to watch this fucking thing so I can listen to that. <laughs> and uh, then I watched it, and it was great. I was I was so pleasantly surprised. Not that I was expecting it to be like a piece of shit or anything. I was sort of expecting to be bored by it, but I was not yeah. bored at all. I thought it was great. Uh, I mean, were you bored by Where is uh, the Friend's House? No, but this wasn't. This isn't that sort of thing, you know? This seemed like this is like more experimental, and when it gets more experimental, it's like... It can go one of two ways. Either it really, really works and it's perfect and beautiful like this is, or it's a train wreck, you know, and I can appreciate what they were trying to do, but it doesn't really work, you know. So I was just worried. Like, I mean, where is where is the friend's house is like a really straightforward narrative, you know, sort of yeah. lovely little film, but it's not. It's nothing like this. Like, this is eye-opening. I don't know. Mm. It's really great. I'm looking forward to watching... More Kurostami. And I actually want to see um, Makhmobov's, some of his films. Uh, it was the director that the guy was impersonating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a movie called Salam Cinema that looks really cool. I want to check it out. But it's, uh, I'd be curious. Sorry. It's not available anywhere, it says. So, <laughs> who knows? I definitely want to get your thoughts on a certified copy. Yeah. Um, which is one of his well, not final films, but last few films before he died. And uh, that also like initially presents as like a straightforward narrative and then gets 
really experimental and I really like that one. And uh Yeah. I, I will can also see watch that. people thinking it's boring. Well I could see I mean I would like I think I almost everybody I know would find um close up boring. <laughs> but I certainly didn't. I mean it's just a matter of you know if you're int- if you're if you're willing to entertain the idea of you know a, a different sort of film you know and a lot of people aren't like a lot of people I think would be driven insane by the the titular close up of you know the guy in the courtroom just talking for like nine minutes straight you know <laughs> like but what he's saying is so fascinating I don't I don't even care it doesn't bother me at all it's great. So yeah, I'm gonna. I I just added certified copy to my watch list, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna look for Salam Cinema online. Um, and that's all I've got except for Henry and Jeremiah. So Kevin, uh, I'm out until uh, Henry and Jeremiah. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Then uh, let's let's talk Henry. Mm. All right. But let's. I mean, you guys talk Henry. Oh, yeah. Did you did you didn't watch this, Jr? No. Okay, I didn't know if you. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, apparently, I liked it more than you, but I nothing about this movie was like I want to watch this again. Yeah, I mean. It's... Yeah. Um. This is uh, this is a Henry portrait of a serial killer. It's a movie that we had to watch mm-hmm. because of Letterboxd Roulette. Um. It's directed by John McNaughton, who is a director who. I have liked some things by, um, most notably Mad Dog and Glory, which I was one of my deep dive picks, mm. and uh, the movie Normal Life, which I think is pretty good. No, not Wild Things. I've never seen Wild Things. No, me neither. And uh, I've never seen Girls in Prison, the Anne Heche lesbian prison movie. Uh, I'm j- that's that's not fair. I'm <laughs> assuming it's a lesbian prison movie because it's got Anne Heche in it, and it's about women's prison. There might not be any lesbian stuff in this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna walk that back a little bit. And uh, also, the movie Lansky, I, I I've been meaning to see this for a little while now. Um, Richard Dreyfuss as Meyer Lansky, mm. written by David Mamet. I mean, you know, cool. could be could be good. So uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a movie about Henry. Uh, Henry what? Lucas. Henry Lucas, yeah. right? Something like that. Yeah. I don't think they ever say his name. Actually, it's just Henry. Uh, so, um, and he's a serial killer, and we know that because they keep cutting to images of dead hookers, and you hear the, the audio of their of their murders mm. reverbed in the background underneath the sort of goofy '80s synthesizer soundtrack which is uh, done by Stephen A. Jones, and who I, I can only imagine is John McNaughton's brother, Robert McNaughton. Mm. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's his... his. I mean, I don't, I don't know. They, he lives with this guy, Otis, and Otis's sister comes to stay with him, and then Otis wants to bang his sister, and Henry's not into that shit. He's got a code of ethics, even though he murders mm. hookers for a living. And uh, he and Otis, he convinces Otis to start killing people with him, and they start killing people, and uh, (laughs) 
it has a something of a I mean pretty telegraphed ending I think he's pretty you could see it coming a mile away what's going to happen at the end of this movie uh and then you know the movie ends and it's really short and it's easy to watch from that perspective like it's really short Mm. and quick and it's not slow at all but it's unpleasant to watch parts of this movie Mm. but then other parts don't work at all like like okay as far as mood goes kevin and i don't know if you're gonna agree with me here but the the videotaped murder of that family Mm. that otis likes to watch over and over again I think that that works as disturbing. Mm. Like, it plays disturbingly, you know? Like, I was bothered by it a little bit. Like, I was like, I don't want to watch this. This is disturbing. Yeah. But then the murder of the guy who's trying to sell them the television is, like, so over the top and ridiculous. It's so it's, it's funny. Like, it was just comical. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what is what is the mood here? Like, what are we supposed to be feeling about this guy? Yeah, like... You know? Like it really like the movie itself has these very like I don't know uh, unsolved mysteries kind of like you know like cheesy eighties crime you know true crime shows. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. It actually kind of that's really interesting you say that because I didn't even think about that until you said it. But there is definitely a um, even the way that it's shot. Mm. Some of the some of the shots do seem like that. Like I could almost <laughs> hear the unsolved mysteries theme <laughs> you know like when they're trying you know. yeah henry is still walking among us <laughs> exactly exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so it didn't uh i mean suffice to say i did not enjoy this movie mm. and uh i can sort of appreciate it as a an oddity and uh mm. attempting to push the envelope at a time it's not that early, but I mean, you know, it's '86. It's it's telling a story about an unrepentantly evil person, and it's not attempting to make excuses for him, which I can appreciate that. Mm. But I don't think it's it's not very well acted. I think it's poorly written. Yeah, uh, I think it's a lot of amateurs doing everything. Like the, the direction seems amateur, the sound seems amateur, the cinematography seems amateur. All the acting seems amateurish. Even Michael Rooker, who I like Michael Rooker, mm. but he's doesn't he's he's not great in this, um, in my opinion. And uh, I think Tom Tolles is bad, and I think Tracy Arnold is bad. Yeah, like I was like like watching the movie, I was really really like like you know oh like that scene where he's like sitting with um, Becky and they're like playing cards, you know, like you know. So what do you do for fun? Oh, I like to watch movies, and you know I like to go to the mall, and a couple of times my dad raped me, and you know, <laughs> like I un- I understand people who have people who have like people who have suffered you know those kinds of traumas you know like obviously yeah. they're gonna have like their communication skills are gonna be dubious, but like she just met this dude and she's just you know oh well you know. Sometimes my dad touched me. <laughs> and, you know, then he starts in with, you know, like, my mother was a prostitute. She used to beat me and she would make me watch and make me wear dresses. And, like, I feel like I know you, Henry. I feel like I... But Henry, <laughs> to be fair, though, I think, and this is this confused me a little bit when I was watching it, but the more I thought about it, 
Henry's lying during that whole conversation, right? Like he's not telling the truth about any of that stuff. Yeah, because it like changes from and minute I think to minute, like exa- how he killed his mother. Exactly. I think I think and I think he's lying to justify what he's doing and the person that he is. He's saying I became this way because of the things that were that were done to me, even though those, those things probably weren't done to him or they weren't done to him in this as that serious a manner. I watched a documentary on Netflix, a documentary series about Henry Lee Lucas. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's the whole documentary is about is about how he essentially confessed to crimes he didn't commit. Oh yeah, because he liked the attention from the police. Yeah, he said he did like six hundred, and like the vast yeah. majority of them did not. You know, the dates right, didn't he match. Couldn't, he couldn't bring people to the. He couldn't bring them to the bodies. He didn't know the details. Yeah, yeah, and like so. I mean, I think that's uh, again. That's just a, that's the sort of thing that that would could be an interesting aspect of the film, but. Instead, they treat it like this guy actually is a serial killer. He's just he's lying about uh, he's lying about killing his mother, maybe, but he actually is killing hookers. We see him kill people. Yeah, yeah, and he totally lodged a broken coke bottle into that hooker's face. Yeah, that was so fucking goofy. Like it, it looked like it was it looked like a gra- more graphic version of what you would see in like the waiting room in Beetlejuice. <laughs> I just remember that when when he stabs uh, Otis in the eye at the end, and it like cuts to, it's like a it's like a, a clay mold of Otis's face, and as his eye gets plucked out, it's really goofy looking. Anyway, that's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So Let's, uh, put one more movie in the. They don't get it column. I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah, right. I have uh, you love everything you guys just described sounds awful. I don't. I just assume that if I watched it again, my rating would be lower. You've, you've convinced me. <laughs> Maybe there's something going on, you know, under the surface that I didn't notice. But I like the ending. I'll say that. I mean, I like the way it ends. I like mm. how it's it's not entirely said what happens, but it's strongly alluded, you know, that he kills uh, Becky and dumps her body in a suitcase on the side of the road yeah i mean (laughs) i just like the way that was very dark and i like there's no music during any of that stuff so it really worked but Mm. um that's probably why i got the extra half star you know Mm. above kevin's rating (laughs) two star ted over here (laughs) um that's a callback (laughs) speaking of speaking of two stars our deep dive for this (laughs) you're a pink no just kidding come on that's not uh that's not real. I'm joking. Okay. Um, so this week we're it was my pick, Jeremiah Johnson, Sydney Pollock, 1972, starring uh, Robert Redford and Del Bolton, and who's the guy who plays Will Greer? Mm. No, Stefan Gearash as Del Gu. I think those are the really the three stars. I mean, you don't the, think you don't think Bear Claws one of the three stars? I mean, he's only in it like twice, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's barely in it. I don't know. Well, Del Gu's only in it twice. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. I felt like he spent more time with Del Gu. Maybe you're right. I don't know. It also stars. Uh, I, I wish Matt Clark was in it more. I saw his name in the trip and the credits. And I was like, oh great, Matt Clark's in it, and he's in it for like four seconds. Um. So this is. I picked this because Jr. hadn't seen it, and it's a '70s film. It's from the. The really meaty part of the good 70s that's 1971 72 73 and it's a redford film you know and it's pollock who i'm just realizing now i have never seen a movie that i like by him 
except maybe <laughs> this. I mean, when I watched this movie originally, I enjoyed it. So I'll say that. Like, I, I really, really, really liked this movie the first time I saw it. Um, but I did not like, like, I've only seen the Yakuza, which is not good. The Scalp Hunters, which is atrocious. And uh, Castle Keep, which is also bad. Oh, wow. so, but you haven't seen I've like any seen, of like, like the his, big his, ones, like the way we were. No, and, like, I've never out of seen that, you know. Tootsie or the Firm or Three Days of the Condor or Out of Africa or how they shoot or horses. Tootsie. Don't they? I've never seen any of those. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. Tootsie's is number one the film on. Uh, oh, the inter- <laughs> that's his last film, isn't it? I think so. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not good. I'm sure it isn't. Um, so, anyways. Uh, what do you guys think of... Uh, oh, well, Jeremiah Johnson is about a mountain man. Red Redford, he plays like a fellow who wants to be a mountain man. And he um, goes into the mountains. And he kind of fucks up at first. But then he meets he meets Bearclaw. The motherfucker doesn't bring gloves. What, what do you think was going to happen? <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he meets a, a, a trapper, another mountain man, who teaches him the ropes. Mm. And then it's very like an episodic... Uh, Almost like a '60s Western TV show where he meets people in distress and helps them, mm. and then until you get to the point when he meets, uh, when he gets married to the the lady, and then it becomes less episodic. Mm. But and it becomes about a revenge making and legend building while also sure. having a revenge element. It's mm. there. There are a lot of like things in this movie that I have questions about how they fit together. Yeah. All right, well, lay it on us. Well, you know, so you mentioned that this was a movie I hadn't seen, and um, and I just feel the need, before I talk about uh, how I felt about it, to just, like, this was on my list of, you know, 70s Sydney's movies that I don't want to see. Uh, <laughs> it's Jeremiah Johnson and, and Serpico, and <laughs> you made me watch this. You and will watch Serpico. I will make that happen too. Don't worry. <laughs> I so I, I took two notes, and and then I, I really had to like pause the movie and just like clear my head. My first two notes were overture, bad sign. Can it recover from this? <laughs> and, and then the first shot of the canoes has real uh, almost heroes vibes, as in uh, you know Matt Matthew Perry and. Uh, <laughs> And the, the Lake Chris Farley, um, it just really reminded me of the, their boat coming around the river. And uh, and I was fair. like, you know what? I'm not giving this movie a fair shot yeah, at that's, all. That's right. You're not. Uh, so I, yeah. So I, I chilled out. Um, I paused it. I, I came back to it and I was like, okay, this, this isn't a joke. <laughs> we are a serious enterprise. You are going to watch this movie. And, uh, and you know, I still have, I have a lot of questions about the setup. I have questions about how there's narration in the very beginning and never again, which is just a thing I don't care for. Um, and I have, there's like stuff with the, the structure that I can kind of, we can get into like as, as we go through the movie where it's like, I can kind of see, I can see like the screenwriting one-on-one of what we were doing. Um, but I, I think that the movie fails to deliver uh, like a, an emotional impact that it seems to be going for 
at the end. And uh, but I'm also happy to just be like, all right, we've got Robert Redford, uh, and we've got beautiful snowy mountains, and let's uh, let's let the the charisma uh, just drive this for a little bit. And like Robert Redford is, is fine. I again, why is he out there with no gloves? Why does he want to be a mountain mm. man? Why, when he almost dies, isn't he like, I'll just go like a few miles back into town? <laughs> Maybe you could, like. Ask someone some advice and try this again in a mm. little bit. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that what there's there's no motivation whatsoever for him to. He has this weird, uh, unending drive to be a mountain man. Mm. It reminds me of um, in the way of the gun. James Caan and Benicio del Toro's their characters are talking in a bar at one point, and James Caan they're talking about criminals. And James Caan says, uh, it's almost like, uh, actually might be Benicio says this. Anyways, one of them says, it's almost like people now, they want to be criminals more than they want to commit a crime. And that's what this feels like. It feels Mm. like he doesn't want to be, he just wants to be, to say, I am a mountain man. I am part of this elite group of, you know, there's four guys on this mountain and I'm one of them. Well, you know, if you're going to have that fucking narrator talking to us for two minutes, Mm -hmm. Like, instead of just saying, like, no one knew anything about him. No one knew where he came from. Like, <laughs> right, well, actually, yeah. maybe you should tell us. Like, yeah. like we're already doing, like, this sort of, like, uh, building the legend of Jeremiah Johnson um, by, like, referring to him as a, as a legendary figure, mm-hmm. like, with a, with a mysterious past. But without giving us anything about him, it's just, like, he doesn't feel like a person. Mm. He's just this idiot who went up into the mountains and got lucky by like running into a guy and kind of made it work but it's it's, it's not he's not a character it's just i don't think he's like a, even like a person until he finally starts talking a little bit more to to del Gu later and then you know his interaction with uh with swan and caleb i mm. guess briefly it, it's, yeah it's not until halfway through the movie where this guy is is anybody but just robert redford uh in a costume yeah yeah like i i don't know how whoever wrote the uh wikipedia article i don't know how they knew that he was a mexican american war veteran because i didn't get i didn't Hmm. remember that from so he does uh, me i mean yeah, it, he mentions the war. He says, "He says, what, what's going on with that war?" And they said, "Which one?" And yeah, he says, "The one with the president the, the of Mexico." Cavalry, oh, right, right, with, right. Uh, with Paul, Paul Benedict, and uh, when he, yeah, when he's leading them up through the pass. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah. but yeah. that's and, not. I mean, that is that. That's that's a really that's a very uh, broad allusion, allusion to the idea that he was actually involved in that, except for the fact that he's wearing military pants. And mm. that that could be, you know, a, a Wikipedia entry written by someone who's also familiar with the source material where maybe that was more clear yeah know. could be because he's a real guy yeah, i was reading the tr- the imdb trivia and he's based on this guy liver eaten johnson who <laughs> like apparently killed indians and ate their livers <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah out of uh, sounds, like a, sounds like a real fucking way totally yeah <laughs> um, yeah this and this is the, the uh opening credits credit both the like a nonfiction story, mm-hmm. crow killer, Lyrian Johnson book, and then also a, uh, a novel about this guy, mm. uh, Mountain Man. So who knows if uh, 
the Mexican-American War thing is is in one of those books. Probably is. Well, the guy, the actual guy, that the real person is is uh, was a Navy veteran. Oh really? Yeah, they said <laughs> so. Who knows? Um, yeah, but I mean. <laughs> I think that the the movie the the I agree with you like the characterization is really thin of Jeremiah Johnson. I think that it gets by on Redford's charisma. I think that Redford is I think he's miscast but only because the dialogue is so antiquated and the way he delivers it sounds very phony. Like <laughs> like this and you can tell the lines Milius wrote in this uh because they're very like they feel researched you know it feels like this is how a mountain man talked in 1849 montana you know he would say can do you know where any beaver are that need skinning or whatever you know oh it's kind of like these weird like phrase the 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 phrasing of things that it just feels completely foreign coming out of robert redford because he's got no accent at all you know he's got he's just he's robert redford Mm. he's like it's like it's like if tom cruise were delivering the lines you know he's just he's a movie star less than an actor i think and it the i think that the whole thing just gets by on on his just like raw movie star magnetism Mm. as opposed to any sort of acting talent necessarily i don't think he's horrible in it i just don't think he fits at all (laughs) yeah and like yeah, like you bring up a good point about like lines that Milius wrote because like, like after watching Red Dawn again, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. Mil- Milius just like he just fetishizes these manly things so much. Sure, and like you see it in Red Dawn, um, not so much in Conan because you know it was you know Conan, but um, and in this too, it's like, you know. You know, like he's you know wants to be the Zen surfer, but he also wants to like like if um like uh, airsoft had been around, like if Milius had been younger when air when airsoft was around, like you know he he would have been one of those guys who like had fatigues and like you know knew all the stuff and like you know could really do it, but like you know. <laughs> He's just got like these, I mean, like, listen to this line. This is Bear Claw, okay? Jeremiah Johnson says, you ever get lonesome? For what? A woman? Just full-time night woman? I never could find no tracks on a woman's heart. I mean, like, (laughs) I packed me a squaw for 10-year, Pilgrim. I mean, it's 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 so, it's like overwritten. And I don't think Bear Claw, the guy who plays Bear Claw, he doesn't do a bad job with that dialogue. Mm. I think think Redford does a bad job with the dialogue. And that's I, and that's, that's one of those, uh, it's kind of one of those screenplay moments where it's like, this, his question is telling us something about this guy. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so this guy is going to get lonely right. for a woman or is already lonely for a woman. Like it, it's definitely on his mind. Uh, and then it's, it's, it's like a, a question, a bit of characterization that, that doesn't really come back up. Like, cause Yes, he does end up with a woman, but the woman is literally forced upon him. He doesn't necessarily want her around. Uh, it's it's kind of that stuff is all over the place. Uh, I did right around there, same sequence with uh, Bearclaw. I really did enjoy him showing Redford how to uh, hunt elk. 
and uh, Redford asking, what if the elk sees our feet when they're right. running behind the horse? Yeah. And Bearclaw says, elk don't know how many feet a horse have. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> thought that was... That works. That was a good good example of an overwritten line. That's a good joke. Reminds me of that line from uh, Alzana's Raid. It's a mighty fair description of men without horses. (laughs) Alzana's Raid, same same year, 1972. Mm. I'd say it's a... Not to spoil my rating, I think uh, Alzana's Raid is a better film. Um... Uh, this the score the score to Jeremiah Johnson also I think is doing is doing a lot of damage to it in my opinion like because this is not a like I think it may based on the score you would think this is like a happy adventure film mm. you know and it's a really like sort of bleak uh, story you know I mean like it's not it's so not good. I mean as soon as his wife and Caleb get killed. It's dark. Mm. Like it doesn't but come back from that. I don't think. No, but, I mean, but that's that happens with thirty minutes left. Like the the turn toward vengeance is is the final twenty five minutes of the movie, sure. it, which is like, I mean, there's an intermission when they're going up the pass. That's an yeah. At thirty five minutes left in the movie, that's an entree. That's an entree actually. Well, it says okay. intermission first, right. and then it says, says intermission, and then uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. did it really? It says intermission. I said entreact. I thought it only said entreact. Anyways, no. the point is, yeah, I agree. I agree. Five minutes left, though. That that intermission makes no sense either because it comes back and it's literally the next shot. Like it's not. There's no time passage or anything. I would assume that when they came back from that, they would be at their destination. But it, they come back from it and they're still at the grave site and they're just walking and through the they, grave they, site. They I was like, what is this? Like what? Is, like use? Why did you, you use know, the intermission? You know. You know what though. I paused it and peed. <laughs> Did you? Nice. So, I I just uh, skipped to the next chapter and kept going. Yeah. But but even like that, I I guess I just I have I have issues with the idea of it being bleak because you know Bearclaw and Delgu like to me they're like reminders that oh big studios, uh the big studio need to cram comedic relief into every blockbuster is not mm-hmm. a modern mm. thing that's just like always been a thing and. It's it, there's so much silliness that the uh, the music makes sense for it. Just it doesn't make sense with where the movie goes. Right, the score doesn't change when it gets bleak. Is my point. Right, you know 100%. what I mean. It's still playing this goofy adventure music while you know his he's on a revenge mission because his wife was brutally murdered and his his surrogate son was brutally mm. murdered, you know, and he burned their bodies in, a, in the cabin. I mean, it's just like, and it's still playing this, these banjos and shit yeah. are playing. I mean, he gets that blood-curdling scream he that has, echoes through the mountains. He has crow warriors literally hunting him down all the time. It's yeah. just... If that that oh, part is very got goofy. Another one. Yeah, he's just like he's just like walking all of a sudden one just jumps out of nowhere at him. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. Um yeah, so I hate the score. I hate the theme song. I hate the songs in general mm. throughout yeah. the film. I don't think they're bad songs, but I I it smacks so much of we need to do this because McCabe and Mrs. Miller did this last year and it worked for them. You know, we've got to have these singer song or some singer songwriter come in and like do some acoustic ballads. Mm over jeremiah johnson walking through the woods yeah i was and, uh, like listening to the score i was like like this this is wrong like this this needs something like more melancholy like more the hired hand kind like mm-hmm. it needed that well i mean if it had the hired hand score instant star bump yeah <laughs> 
The hired hand score is amazing. Um, I did love the horse thieving scene when they steal the horses. I thought that was great. Mm. When they try to sneak up on the Indians while they're sleeping and then Delgu is trigger happy. I thought all that uh, was pretty solid. With the exception of like, and this isn't that bad in that scene. It gets worse later on. But there's like this sort of 60s to early 70s editing style when it comes to action. That gets, it's very bizarre and like doesn't, it's very clunky. Well, it's it's almost it's almost trying like a. I don't want to say like, like boring ultimatum kind of thing where it's like it's it's trying to edit very quickly, um, and, and disorient the viewer. And I yeah, I, I thought it was wild but okay in that scene, and then later I was not. I was getting less and less pleased with it. The scene when he attacks the Indians who killed his his wife and child that's it gets it's out of control there and it's not and it's not good in that scene i think mm. it doesn't work nearly as well but um but i still like that scene because he <laughs> like he has the two the two muskets and he blows those guys away and like they they get jerked back on wires you know <laughs> like because the bullet hitting them is so strong um i there sir there is some brown face in this right uh the girl playing his wife is not a Native American, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. and the chief is a guy named Richard Angarola, who appears to be just a fellow, an American fellow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, a product of its time, sure. Yeah. Still kind of offensive and lame. The whole, the whole like flathead scene uh, or sequence was was weird to me, and I, I had, I think I had a. This again ties into kind of my issues with the entire screenplay and tone management, and just maybe like a, a lack of consistent authorial voice. Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell how Pollock and Milius want us to feel about the Flatheads. Like mm. I can't tell if like we're supposed to be like laughing at their refusal to let go of you know kind of like their air quotes uh, like savage customs even after being Christianized or if he's like or if they're like suggesting we should respect them for their own respect of their traditions even after embracing christianity it's it's like but there's so much like other like comedy going or like, happening in that scene with like the gift giving of uh, the daughter it just like all of that just rubs me the wrong way uh and i i wish i could figure out what they wanted and i should assume i guess since this was made in the seventies, by white people that were were mocking the uh, the peaceful Indians. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel I even like even the idea of the the crucifix, like the Indian made crucifix that they're looking at as they come into the camp. Even that seemed like it was supposed to be sort of tongue in cheek. Like, look at these silly guys; they made a crucifix out of you know straw or whatever. Mm. Um, I did have a question about whether or not you think did John did Jeremiah Johnson sleep with Swan that first night when she gets naked and gets under her blanket and he goes and looks at her nude body? You think he banged her that night? I mean, they are married. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do yeah. think that. I think it happened, but I think it was very awkward. <laughs> i mean that's uh, yeah that probably goes without yeah. saying but i i just i was thinking about that i was like i was like why wouldn't they just show them like embracing or something because he just like looks at her and it's like really kind of creepy mm. you know it's like 
oh wow titties and then, yeah. you know and then and it then, just fades to black you know like, and what? then we see that caleb is six feet away looking at both of them <laughs> yeah. real weird that's why he's quiet all the yeah. time he's traumatized <laughs> um this has the uh the famous shot of him smiling from the memes mm, yeah so have you guys yeah. seen this <laughs> yeah okay. in that montage of them you know becoming I, a family Right. I am so convinced that that is not Robert Redford. Like he looks so much like more rotund. Yeah, his face in that looks better. He does sure. ever, and it, like even like the next shot in the montage, he's back to like you know skinny, uh, like like jawline Robert Redford with the beard. He's like he's so round. And Maybe they shot so it there. like later, like on holiday, and he had I don't, you know gotten a little fat. Oh man. It's a stand-in. It's a, it's a, it's a stand-in. <laughs> I don't know about I'm that. Just like, I, I won't. I, it's like a close-up. I will not believe it. I don't believe it's him. I will not believe it's him. Um, you know, but great, great meme. Speaking. So we said that he gets hunted down by these Indians and he kills countless amounts of them one-on-one because mm. they won't attack him more than one at a time for some reason because they are whatever they are, crow. Is that right? Yeah, and what Del- Doug you says if, Del- you, if they were Apache, like, they'd send fifty yeah. after you. But thank God they're a crow; they only send one at a time. Like, why? Why would they? Were they dumb? Like they send <laughs> one at a time. But uh, anyways, the ending of it, I found the ending to be sort of uh, unsatisfying because mm. he runs into uh, who is it that he runs into? It's like a, um, it's a character from Paint, earlier. Paints his right? shirt. Yeah, paints his shirt red. Yeah, the the guy. Yeah, the guy he first saw when he was like not a good fisherman. Oh right, oh, yeah, right. and saw saw with Delgu, and he mentioned he's a bad fisherman. Uh, yeah. That guy is a flathead, though, isn't he? Before. No, that was that was when he and Delgu ran into. It was a three crow, including this guy. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah, I don't understand that scene at all. Like he, he, so he stops. He sees this guy, and then he raises his hand and like grits his teeth. I don't <laughs> so what I well, and I, I wasn't. It's hard to read what that facial expression is, but I, I definitely read the raised hand from. I gotta get this guy's fucking name. Uh, Joaquin Martinez paints his shirt red. Yeah. I know you said that, Kevin, but I already mm. forgot. Sorry. Um, definitely seems like paints his shirt red is like raising his hand in like a gesture of peace. As right. In like, sure. Like this guy's crow. This guy. I mean, maybe this guy has been like, like the guy actually sending warriors to kill Jeremiah Johnson. Maybe he's just part of the tribe and is aware of the, uh, like the blood feud here and is raising his hand in a sign of peace. I, but I, I kind of took it as like a, a, a moment of peace at the end of this movie for uh, for Jeremiah. But yeah, I, I guess I just don't I'm, understand. I'm just guessing. I don't know what his what his deal is during it, like why he's like angry, <laughs> like well, he's like I, straining. I don't. I mean, I I I, I, I couldn't know. tell. And you know, I noticed this looks like a not great moment for 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 Johnson, who is again somehow without fucking gloves, mm. like. <laughs> Get it together. He's got a bandage dude. over his hand, though, so that's that's sure. Yeah. Um, and he just he just kind of looks like like ragged at this moment. And sure. there's 
you know, like like Bearclaw, um, Wood Rear, like he's clearly like this guy who's kind of gone half mad, and I got the sense, I got the sense that the screenplay wanted me to think that uh, Robert Redford has also at this point kind of gone half mad. Like he's he's been defending himself from people trying to kill him for so long. He's like running into people who are talking about like his his legend and don't think he's real i just i think i think this guy is like half gone and and then right before that the penultimate scene of course he's talking to bear claw again like asking what month of the year it is and like he's just out mm. of it so I, I i think there's sort of like a, a half mad thing going on Definitely. yeah that's fair i just don't know if i'm happy with it ending there that's mm. all no i mean i, I mean i I think, I think the way it ends once, like the way the revenge stuff plays out, like is is in a way like really cool. Like the the last half hour are like this mirror image of the first hour, like leading up to meeting the Flatheads. Like, you know, we get Delgu again, who is sort of he's mellowed a little bit, grown his hair. Um, <laughs> He's got a great wig yeah. on. You know, <laughs> he goes back to the uh, to the woman's house where he, you know, eventually where he got Caleb, and finds out she's dead and has that interaction with them. It's like it's like he's retracing his steps, and then of course meets up with Bearclaw. It's like, you know, he went up the mountain uh, with this journey, and like is coming back down with this, this the other side, like the like the sadder part of this and like the, the way that mirrors is cool or would be cool if the first half of the movie was like trying to be serious and interesting and i just i don't think it was yeah all right is this a western <laughs> i mean it's de- like it's definitely playing on like a westward expansion um i mean i mean there are wagons yeah and, and horses yeah. Cowboy hats. I think that it's. I feel I like mean, if he's anything, fighting in, he's fighting mm, engines. Sure, but he's not using six shooters because they don't exist. Because it's the eighteen forties. I feel like it's a it's it's a subgenre of western, right? Mm. It's like a the the trapper, uh, mountain man, whatever you know, like the Revenant. Yeah. The Revenant's not a western, mm. but it's like it belongs to the same sub subgenre as this movie. Yeah, I'm happy to to call it a sub genre western sure sure i mean <laughs> it's it's this is more like end of the wild than it is uh a lot of john wayne movies right yeah it's more like a sur- john wayne would never be in this movie yeah. it's more like a survivalist movie than a like straight up western yeah survivalist yeah because well mm-hmm. said yeah oh i think i think from that perspective having seen a few sort of movies like this from the 70s these kind of mountain man movies uh this one is probably better than a lot of the other ones but it's still not great didn't you go you like went through a phase with these right (laughs) yeah a little bit after the revenant i think really i watched uh i don't know there was one with richard oh a man called horse richard harris um there's one called Mountain Men, which I never, I don't think I finished, but it had Charlton Heston in it. Uh, yeah, I watched a few of them, and this is better than all of those, but, mm. you know, it's not saying much. This is also nominated for the Palm Door. Mm. I can. I mean, 
whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Play, played in competition. Whatever. 40, yeah. 40 movies do that every year. Okay. Relax, JR. <laughs> Relax. Yes, I just, I don't, I think I'm officially on board with, like, I don't think Pollock is a great director. I think his, his best movie is uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And maybe Tootsie. I don't know. Those are the only two ones that are good. The It lost the palm door to The Working Class Goes to Heaven and The Matei Affair, both Italian films. I've never heard of the first one of those. Cool. No. Unless I've logged in on Letterboxd. <laughs> I don't think I have. It was also in competition with Images mm. by Altman. Which is a much better indeed in the ruling class and Silence, the original Silence, Slaughterhouse Five, Solaris. That's weird, Solaris. Solaris is not seventy-two though, is it? I thought it was seventy-two or seventy-three. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was like sixty-two. Why did I think it was in the sixties? Yeah. I don't know because you didn't like it. Fucked. I really would have. I would have had money. This is in the sixties. I think Ivan's childhood was like sixty. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, All right, Rublev was sixty-six. Yeah, Rublev. Let's all just kind of talk to ourselves about (laughs) (laughs) this. All right. Well, uh, ratings for Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, real quick, so we can end this thing. Um, Oh, go ahead. Did you guys like the beard? uh, The five o'clock shadow makeup that they put on Redford? No. Yeah. No, I don't. No. Oh, in fact, I remember I watching this. Not. Watching this the first time, I remember being super pissed that he shaves his beard off. I was like, "Because <laughs> yeah. you know it's coming back." No, because I thought it was. I liked the beard. I was like, "Dude, this guy looks awesome. He's got the mountain man." Yeah, beard. yeah. And then he shaves it off, and I was like, "Fuck this! I don't want this clean-shaven baby-faced pussy. <laughs> I want to see that beard." And then when the wife gets killed. And he regrows the beard. I remember thinking, like, fuck yeah, dude. Kill that bitch. Get the beard back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the five o'clock shadow yeah. sucks. Oh, and one. Yeah. I, sorry, w- sorry, one last thing. Um, I remember seeing a commercial for this movie on AMC. And there's that mm. exchange, you know, where are you heading? Same place you are, Jeremiah. Hell in the end. But the way they do it in the commercial. Where are you heading? Same place you are, Jeremiah. Hell. That was. I think that was so much better. I mean, it doesn't. You yeah, know, I, hell in the end is yeah. weird. It's weird to say in the end after that. I agree. Yeah, because like that struck me while I was watching yeah. it too. Anyway, ratings. All right. Well, ratings, Kevin. I'm going uh, two point seven five. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I gotta be honest. So much of this movie was really boring. Yeah, I hear you. And it is uh, maybe yeah, maybe ten or fifteen minutes too long as well. I'd yeah, say. for sure. Well, yeah, they could have could have cut out six minutes with the overture and the. This this is true. Yeah. And I, actually, I read the uh, the VHS release of this did cut out. Yeah. The uh, overture, which like. Why, Good. Why not? Yeah. yeah. The score wasn't good anyway. Why uh, two, two and a half. I'm giving it a three. Mm. Um, I still think it's you know it's entertaining enough, and uh, I agree with you. Sidney Pollack is kind of a shit director, but mm. this is uh, 
probably his best film that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I wonder why what he, like, do? with the intermission in the Entracte, it's like, dude, like, this isn't 2001. Like, nowhere near it. Yeah, it's like... Like, it's what not, are you doing? It's not even long. Like, I thought that was reserved for, like, epic sort of, yeah. you know, really long films. Mm. He was like, you know, maybe this is just, like, a TV guy. He was like, commercial break right here. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good... Yeah, it's a good idea. All right. Well, uh, I guess we're going to do Letterbox Roulette, but I feel like we should just do... Like, we shouldn't even roll for it, because a lot of... Like, Del Bolton's been in this, and this is it. Mm. And, like, Josh Albee's barely been in anything. Why don't we just use Redford? Sure. Okay. Even though, you know, JR will definitely win, but it'll be interesting to see what we've seen with Redford. Okay. So, uh, I'm the lowest, I'm sure. Maybe. <laughs> I have ten. <laughs> ten Redfords. Well, you were wrong. Eight. Oh, my. Ouch. When JR, I'm going to guess JR. Hang on, let me guess JR. You have 37. No, I, I've seen fewer Redford movies than I would have guessed. Um, only, only 17. Wow. You know what's weird so is that... So many of them are new. I've seen so many Redford films that JR hasn't seen, and yet we're so far from each other. Like, like I've, he's in all like the he's in like multiple Marvel movies, Pete's Dragon. Like he's in like a lot of like this like new crap that I've seen. Yeah, I've seen like The Clearing, which you haven't seen. Uh, the Company You Keep, Brubaker, The Last Castle. I, I can't see. I haven't like, seen Sneakers. I've seen Sneakers. I literally turned off A River Runs Through It. I and didn't finish it. I was so bored. Mm. Wow. This is like man. I watched uh, Legends of the Fall soon after I uh, gave up on this movie, and I was like, "What was going on in the '90s with these like period <laughs> epics that fucking blow?" <laughs> And with the all-star Brad Pitt, what's going mm. on? <laughs> this is uh, also, uh, he's in um, Spy Game. You haven't seen Spy Game? What the fuck, JR? <laughs> no, I haven't seen A Decent Proposal. That's kind of one where I figured I would have seen it by now. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, As you guys know, I don't watch a ton of movies. So yeah. All right. <laughs> get to these. All right, well, JR wins, so let's do our letterboxed roulette. Um, the number is, out of 3,570 films on the letterboxed roulette list, crossing cannons, thank you, JR, the number is 2014. Mm. Wouldn't it be crazy if it's a 2014 release? Mm, indeed. Like, how nuts would that be? would be crazy. That would be so crazy. What was the number again? 2014. One page too far. All right. Lay it on us, JR. We're waiting, bud. Uh, yeah, we might. Uh-oh. We might axe this one uh, just because I mean, at least John has seen that, but maybe kind of hasn't. But, uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's Lover's Rock, the uh, second entry. Oh, yeah, I'm going to watch the, that uh, again. Mm, no thanks. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch it, but it's if like, y'all want to like, choose a different I mean, um, thing, Kevin, you can still you can still watch yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Um, 
I'm going to generate another number. 2719. Small eggs isn't great anyway, because, you know, you want to see, like, the whole series. You don't want to, like, jump into episode mm. two. All right, I've got 2719, and it's a good one for Kevin. Mm. It's called The Champions of Justice, and it's about luchadors. <laughs> Kevin, you're going to love this. <sighs> Starring, starring Blue Demon. That's <laughs> his only credit is Blue Demon. Wow. Blue Demon and pals square off against the Black Hand's army of superpowered midgets. Wow. Five oh, luchador, five luchadors face off against a mad scientist and his army of power, powerful wrestling midgets. I'm surprised uh, El so, Santo isn't in this thing. He was in uh, Coco. <laughs> is this? <laughs> So we're we're gonna have, have to see if this is like available anywhere. Right. If, it's, uh, if I, we can't, find I really it, hope it's we'll, not. Uh, we'll pivot. But I am gonna do some sleuthing to make sure that someone has to watch this. I really hope it's not available anywhere. That'd be great. <laughs> you never know; it could be good. It's not on. It's not on the site that I use. Mm. So. I could be a no go. No, I think uh, I think you should give me twenty four hours. Oh, and, uh... <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, if not, we can always just choose another one. This is a bad part of the list. <laughs> this is yeah. like these are bad movies. Well, man. Yeah, see, I wanna. I, I want. I want us to watch one from this because, like, we we've been so like at the front of the list watching like. The good ones. Mm. Yeah. We, haven't had any, we haven't had any of like the the non like canons, mm. canon ones lately. That's fair. I mean, it's fair. I, you know, I would, but it's like I wouldn't mind watching like Bad Taste, you know, or uh, Death Race two thousand even, mm. you know. But no, I haven't seen Bad Taste. But it's like you know, this this is like subpar. <laughs> this is like b- below the, <laughs> you know, the normal. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks actively offensive in, in many ways. And it's probably, it's probably no, I never saw it. I never saw Bad Taste because I didn't like um, Dead Alive, mm. so I didn't go any further back or Brain Dead, whatever it's called. It's called Dead Alive, also, right? Yeah, I I, I hated I hated Bad Taste when I saw it, I, and I I haven't watched any of his like exploitation stuff in a long time. Maybe it's not awful, but I might watch um, Heavenly Creatures soon. That one's good. Been been thinking about it. I like Kate Winslet. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, so yeah. So next time uh, we're going to be watching, possibly watching. Uh, <laughs> I've already forgotten the name of. <laughs> Let's hold on. Let's. I think we should pivot. I can't find it on either of my. Uh, oh wow! Really? Okay. That usually oh have my god! Everything. Well, now I'm disappointed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I was all ready for some lucha libre. Let me. I'll get some more. Uh, I'll get another number. Thirty-five seventy. Yeah, that's just uh, you know just another section for us to cut out. Twelve thirty-three. You have to do. You have to do a lot of snip snip on this episode, John. That's mm. <laughs> all right. Twelve thirty-three. I'm used to it. Um, okay, I got it. It's ordinary people. Okay, I don't mind this actually because this is something that's on my watch list, 
Brett oh, Easton Ellis has talked. No, he's talked a lot about this about oh, how shit. good it is. So, and I, I know that a, you don't it, like it. On, but. <laughs> no, I, I really don't like it, but I don't have to watch it. Um, this is a Best Picture winner. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Kevin, have Mm-mm. you seen this? All right. Well, the motherfucker is directed by Robert Redford. So, uh, perfect. You guys, you guys have to watch right. this. Right? Yeah, I'm in. I'll watch it. I have no issue with that. And it's on uh, beat, uh, Hulu and Paramount Plus. So, this is the one that beat uh, Raging Bull. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure it really deserved to also. Um, oh, it has M.M. at Walsh. Mm. I love that. Love that guy. All right. Uh, so we'll be watching Ordinary People from 1980 for our uh, deep, or not for our deep dive, but for our uh, Letterboxd Roulette. And for our deep dive, JR, it's your pick. Mm. Yeah. And I, uh, you know. I, I just want to go with something new. I want to go with something from a, a director I love. So we're going to watch uh, Kimmy, Steven Soderbergh's new movie that is debuting soon on HBO Max. Starring Zoe Kravitz and Rita Wilson. Also starring uh, Erica Christensen from Traffic. Ah, a re- sure. reuniting, yeah. reuniting director with Erica Christensen. So I'm excited for that. Cool. <laughs> and uh, cinematography by Soderbergh, editing by Soderbergh, and written by David Kep. I mean, this is a classic, classic Soderbergh joint mm. here. Uh, he doesn't call them joints; that's trademarked by someone else. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I know um, you had, you guys had said, I think, or one of you said that uh, the trailer did not excite you. But um, you know, I don't. Trailers for uh, Soderbergh movies lately have not meant much to me. I've, I've been enjoying them regardless. Even, uh, fuck, what's the, what's the name of the fucking, let them all talk. Like, that trailer looks stupid. Mm-hmm. It's true. It was good. <laughs> uh, David Kep, the guy who wrote this, wrote some of my favorite films of all time, mm. including Carlito's Way and Snake Eyes. He also wrote Toy Soldiers and Panic Room, which is coming to 4K soon. So, uh, yeah, and Mission Impossible, the first one. Mm. So, David Kep, a, a good screenwriter. Um, I'm anxious. I'm actually anxious to see Kimmy. I, I think the trailer looks like shit, but yeah, I, mm. I, I think it'll surprise us. Yeah. So, Cliff Martinez does the score. Anything Soderbergh, I'm willing to give a shot. Yeah, definitely. He's reliable. All right, so we'll be watching Kimmy, which is going to be streaming on HBO, right, JR? Yeah, I think starting. I think it's starting the 11th. Nice. That's very soon. 11th of February. Um, we'll be watching Kimmy from this year, and uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com, which looks totally different starting recently. I don't know. They have it looks nicer than it used to. So, thank you, Castos, and um, visit our Instagram. And thanks for listening on. All the different places that you listen on, like uh, Spotify and Apple and Pocket Cast and Stitcher and Castro and Google Podcasts. They have a list of them now on our website. Nice. And uh, <laughs> until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. An Indian says you search in vain for what you cannot find. He says you found a thousand ways. I'm running down your time
An Indian didn't scream it. He said it in a song. And he's never been known to be wrong. He's never been known to be wrong. 